Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle episode number three from Barber Motorsports Park. I'm here with one of my favorite GLTC drivers, Mr. Colton Wade of Regular Guy Racing. Glad to be here. So, Finally. Uh, you have been on the show before, and I think the last time you and I recorded was at Heartland Motorsport Park. You had kind of just had an off at that event, and so things were a little bit sad for the weekend, but it's been several months. Um, what's, what's gone on in your world in the last five months? Well, it's been mostly rebuilding the car, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's been a couple months of some serious growth and um, some hard conversations with myself, my family, and our team about what we want the future of the program to look like. Um, going back to that weekend at Heartland, um, it was a tough weekend, obviously, but it was made even more difficult coming off of the season as a whole that we had. Um, which by and large was plagued with just a lot of like BS problems throughout sure. the year. Sure. Um, for one reason or another, it seemed like every time we showed up to the racetrack, there was some mechanical issue or some sort of nonsense with the car that um, would present itself at the most inopportune time. Yeah, right. We missed a lot of races uh, last year, just waiting on parts for the car, um, working on the car, what have you. Um, so by the time we got to Heartland, I was frustrated as it was. Sure. Um, but we had a fast car. Um, the car felt good. It was finally starting to comply with um, what we wanted it to do. It was finally starting to show some of the effort that we had put into it. Um, and then, you know, I stuffed it into a wall in practice. Um, that was one of those moments where you really start to question internally, you know, what what am I doing this for? And do I want to keep putting the effort and the time and the money in because we race the full schedule. It's because not race, cheap. Racing is hard. It, racing is hard. It's, I have a journal that just says racing is hard on the front of it. And it's a log of all of my, um, internal struggles personally as sure, a racer. Sure. Um, and it's a pretty comprehensive log and you know, you don't want to fill that journal up, but <laughs> you'd like the journal to be empty. Yeah. And I, in a perfect world, it's empty, but, um, it's a, it's a reminder of, um, those moments, uh, of, of potential development, depending on how you handle them. Sure. Um, and that was the first time since I started wheel to wheel racing where I genuinely, was considering walking away or taking a significant break. Sure, sure. Um, we threw probably twice as much time and money at last season as we planned because of the issues that we had. Sure. Um, it was, I don't want to say it wasn't fun because it's always fun, but it, it was more of a grind than it should have been. Sure. Um, and that's exhausting. And yeah. then when you end the season that way, you don't get to finish your weekend because you, you know, you bent the car in practice. Sure. Um, on the list of things that are not fun, working on the car at the racetrack is not fun. It's not. It's well, <laughs> if you crash it bad enough, you don't have to work on it. <laughs> I guess that's true. So if you're going to go, go all in. Yeah. Yeah. Crash it well. Um, but it was, I, I remember the, the devastation and the heartbreak that I felt you know, in my helmet as I left the car there on the track and walked back to the paddock. Shit. Um, well, like, what what was the moment like? Because I don't remember how much we talked about it on that last show. Like, uh, as you're on track, uh, you're at a place I think you've driven before. That was my first time okay. in Harland, yeah. So your first time there, but uh, in the moment, how soon did you know that, oh, I'm going off and it's going to be a big one? So 
I, I knew I was going off as soon as I hit the curbing that I was playing around with the couple laps before. Sure. Um, because I knew I knew as soon as I started my steering input for corner entry that I was taking too big of a swing at that corner. Um, and it, it's it's uh, a short corner, but there's no runoff there. Um, and as soon as the car started to go and I started to counter steer and knew that it wasn't going to come back, um, I mean, the wall's five feet off the track. You knew it was going to happen. So... It was fast, but it felt like an eternity. And in that eternal moment, I when I knew I was going to crash, I was like, I hope it's not going to be bad enough that we can't get the car back together and finish the weekend. And then when I actually made the impact, as soon as the car settled down, I was like, yeah, we're not getting back on track. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a rough feeling. But it's not so much it's not so much the pain of the you know wrecking the car. Cars are fixable, and that car will live again one day. Sure. Um, but it was. It was more of a um, how do you how do you put it? It was more of a uh, commitment challenge right then. Sure. Um, because it was it, it, it all kind of felt like it fell apart in that moment, and I knew immediately the time and money and and pain it was going to take to put the program back together to get sure. back here for this season. And I genuinely considered like maybe we take next year off, or maybe we don't come back for a while. Sure. And like, uh, I mean. I know that you're outside of uh, the motorsport season. Like you're a hardworking guy. You um, you come to the events as a way to blow off some steam. Uh, but you you said just a minute ago before we started recording that you tend to start your work days at like five a.m. and you tend to be done with your work days at like six or seven p.m. And so adding time on top of that to you know prepare for your fun race season. It has to be like out of love, and it has to be a, a true passion. So, how do you how do you recover that personally in that moment? It doesn't happen. At least for me, it didn't happen in that moment. Um, in fact, that moment, I was fairly at least you know the emotions are high in that moment. Um, even though I wasn't like yelling and screaming mad, the internal emotions are pretty intense. Um, and it was those emotions were kind of blinding in that moment, and I really I was confident that I was going to take some time off or, or or hang it up for a little bit. Now I've seen your Instagram post. We can kind of get into it, but uh, you decided to go against that. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, so back to your back to your previous question. Um, it took several moments, if not you know several weeks after the crash, to decide really what I wanted to commit to. Um, you know, that day I spent the better part of the morning in the trailer with my wife just kind of talking about how I was feeling and, you know, uh, hey, honey, it's going to be, you know, probably this much to, to put the pr- program back on track. Do we want to follow through with it? Can we afford it? Um, how are we going to afford it if it's something we want to commit to? Um, so it was there was a lot of variables that had to be sorted through before we were able to come to the conclusion that we were going to try to make it out for 23. Um so it was a process. It wasn't like a, you know, flip a switch after that moment's over and decide what we wanted to do right away. Um, it took a, and it took some, you know, internal healing, sure. you know, to, to I'm, and that's one of the reasons I'm here at Barbara this weekend is um, those, those kind of incidents for a, a newer driver like me, I haven't been doing this my whole life. This sure. is only my third competitive year. Um, those are, 
I don't want to say confidence killers, but it definitely throws a question mark in the equation. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm racing in WRL next weekend with Andrew Rains in Birmingham Road and Race, and uh, I had an opportunity to come down here this weekend and get in their car. Okay. Are they racing here or where? Where's WRL? We're at NOLA next okay, weekend. NOLA, yeah. um, but I had an opportunity to fly down this weekend and get in a car, and I, I'm just here to shake the rust off and and make that confidence question mark go away before we start the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, okay, you get back from Heartland. What's step number one? So step number one was honestly to take a couple weeks to myself. I didn't want to talk about cars. I didn't want to talk to Rob at the shop. I didn't want to talk about racing with my wife. My wife can't shut me up about cars most of the time. Sure. And we probably went two or three weeks without it being a topic and within the household. Um, and that was something that I intentionally wanted um, because I typically, I'm one of those personalities that like when I'm really passionate about something, it like consumes me. And sure, I'm like a yeah, dog with that. a bone on it. Um, so taking it out of my life completely kind of let me uh, think about it from a um, less neurotic standpoint, if sure. you will. Um, and then I was able to revisit the conversation with a little bit more level head a couple weeks later. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, something I wanted to take my time and make sure that I wasn't going to make some like horrible, life-altering, irresponsible decision by jumping right back in. Um, but step one was uh, I waited a couple weeks, picked up the phone, and you know, after my wife and I decided that uh, this was an important enough part of my life individually, and it's uh, it's something that we enjoy doing together enough to to try to make it a comeback. Um, yeah, I picked up the phone and called Rob and said. Um, We've got a spare E46 chassis uh, sitting in the garage. Um, let's tear it down and start fresh. And that's okay. exactly what we did. Uh, how far along are you in the process? The car should have been here this weekend if it wasn't for some shipping delays on some parts. And we had some uh, fitment issues that we didn't foresee with the power plant that we're putting in the car. Um, this is a power plant, I think, that I've seen in an E46 M3 before. Um, and they do rip. Have you talked about it to anyone? Not in detail. I think uh, it's probably pretty much public knowledge um, that it, it's an LS7 going in the car. Okay. Um, but as far as the actual car setup itself, uh, we haven't we haven't disclosed a lot of details. It's not like anything you know top secret, like government classified. But um, it is going to be a really special car, and it's um, it's a it's a it's an effort to. Um, to get around the reliability issues that we were suffering from sure. last year. Because uh, that car, my previous car, Lydia, as she was known, um, was, it was a good car, but it was put together so fast and was um, developed so quickly that there were a lot of teething issues that sure. we just never had off-season time to work through. Um, this is a really fresh build. I mean, the, the chassis is gorgeous. Um, every nut and bolt that's going on the car is brand new. Uh, stuff that we are reusing got refinished uh, or retooled or reworked or whatever. Um, so it's going to be a, a very well put together car. Okay, so uh, 427, what, what modifications do you make to the 427 to make it road race reliable? So... Our initial attraction to the LS7 over like an LS3 or an LS1 was the dry sump system. Sure. Um, but that takes some modification to work in this platform. Um, so there's a there's a Davy system, I believe it's called that we're that we're that we put on the car, which 
to be frank, sitting here today, I'm still learning this new engine um, day to day. It, it's a completely new platform for me, so I feel like I'm starting from scratch, whereas the S54, I could probably take apart and rebuild in my sleep. Sure. Um, this, uh, the LS7, um, it's it's not a wildly complicated engine, but it's it's all new to me. Sure. Um, so we've got we've got that. I believe it's called the Davy system going in the car. It might um, be daily. Daily. That's it. It's yeah. Daily thank you. Up. Yeah. yeah. Thank, daily. Um, that's correct. Uh, and then um, we had to get like uh, new timing chain housing and stuff like that for fitment. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, aftermarket support for the LS swap uh, on the market for the E46. Sure. Um, but the LS7 heads are also different, sure. Um, which was causing some fitment issues. So okay. we've got some customization going on there. Um, the fab shop's been really busy with trying to put this car together, which is has that been a, part a shop of the delay. local to you in Columbus? Or yeah, somewhere it's, else? yeah. So it's a uh, it's a shop um, that Fields is partnered with. Okay. Uh, Sean McNeely's our chief fabricator. He's a wizard. Um, but it's been a little bit more of a fab effort than we thought it was going to be. Sure. It wasn't you know it wasn't just bolted up like you know. That everyone seems to think it is. Everyone thinks swaps are easy, and to an extent they are. And depending on what you want to do with the car, you can make it a little easier. Well, and like you know, if it it could be a thing that yeah, like you attach the motor mounts and you can put it in the car, but the the details of making it work. You know, you have to be good at working at cars to get all that stuff together. You do. Again. So, like, in the LS7 uh, platform, you know, we, we're having fitment issues and clearance issues with the steering rack. Okay. Uh, we're having proximity issues with the hard lines for the brakes. Um, so that's all stuff that, you know, we're realizing as we're doing the swap. Um, but it's things that are slowing us down, obviously, because it wasn't things that we well, foresaw. Well, I mean, gone are the days of stuff being captured on the forums where you can, like, you know, see a record of what someone did do. Um, the uh, social media recently has made it really hard to do anything like that because forums, for the most part, are dead. They are. And if you, you know, depending on who you, well, anybody you ask on social media is going to tell you it's their way or no way. Right. Um, which is just not the case. Every, every swap's going to be different. And if we had gone LS1 or LS3, we'd have had uh, different issues, uh, sure. probably fewer, frankly, but um, this is the way we wanted to go. And, and would an LS1 or LS3 be cheaper and easier sure but um i as when we had an opportunity to pick up this ls7 at a really fair price and it's a well-built ls7 um we just thought it would be a very special car when we were done with it got it so it's worth the effort um i want to change gears just a little bit uh i i know of your cars on track but like you like to to piddle around with cars not off track Yes. Tell me a little bit about the the cars that you own for not road racing. Well, uh, the first of my favorite toys is a 2004 C5 Z06. Um, it's just a, it's a long tube header tuned car. Um, it's just loud and obnoxious and fun to drive, and that's the that's the car that I kind of grew up as an enthusiast, um, really admiring. My cor- my family was always a Corvette family. Um, so that's kind of just a car I like to go rip around in. It's fun to look at. Um, and then I also have a, uh, uh, what year is that thing? I believe it's a 1995 Eclipse GSX. Sick. That I have some fun plans for. Um, beyond that, uh, I just got my allocation for a 2023 Escalade V. 
which is probably the coolest machine I've ever been around. No kidding. Yeah, it is. It's it's just it. Its sole purpose for existence is just to be obnoxious and ridiculous, and it does it very well. Is it? Yeah, it's it's well. So it's got it's got um, what they call V mode, which is like you know shoot fire and scare old ladies mode, and then it's got you know the regular drive mode, which is tame and and very timid and luxurious and nice. Um, but you put that thing in middle finger mode, and uh, it's it's. Uh, 800 or it's 682 horsepower of of fury what engine is that it's a 682 it's 682 horsepower i believe it's the lt it's a hand-built lt platform motor it's supercharged um the truck weighs about 6300 pounds so i mean it's it's a tank um but it'll do zero to 60 in about four seconds that's so dumb yeah it's really silly so dumb (laughs) it's really dumb when did you take delivery uh, what would that have been? Uh, I ordered it in June, and I got it Monday or Tuesday of last week. Yeah, I saw pictures. Yeah, it's rad. It's it's a ton of fun. So I assume you haven't had a chance to take it on any trips with your wife. Is that going to be the car that you drive every day? Yeah, that's my daily driver. I'm and I sold my uh, my Chevy thirty five hundred, which I had bought to tow all of our race stuff, which we don't need anymore. Um, yeah, to do bigger stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've got that stacker trailer for Fields. It gets towed by the uh, the Renegade now. So sold the 3500 diesel and traded up for the Escalade. I don't need this 3500 anymore because I have a semi-truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the uh, well, well, when I, uh, I'll probably see you at mid-Ohio and I'll be driving it. We'll have to go for a ride. Tell me about the decision to buy the Renegade. Well, it was it ticked a lot of boxes, not just for the racing stuff that we do, but like from what my family and like my family and I like to do for leisure outside of racing. Um, so like we've got a um, group of friends back home that we like to go to off road parks with with our with our four wheelers and side by sides. Um, so my wife and I have a 2020 Razor, um, and like when we're not racing on weekends, we're towing to off-road parks and camping with our friends and with the number of events you've got planned for this year you're basically gone every weekend yeah it's a lot of weekends i think when we sat down last year and kind of looked back at the year i want to say we were gone whether it was for racing or otherwise we were away from home for like 23 weekends out of the year that's a lot yeah which i mean there's only what 52 weeks in the year so (laughs) what's the process for shopping for a renegade well we actually didn't even that's not where we started the renegade that we landed on was not starting point of tow vehicle search um first we wanted to look at you know something uh, a little bit smaller um something that was going to haul like a single car trailer um and the more i talked to the racing team uh, and the more my wife and I kind of talked about what our personal needs were going to be from what we bought, um, the fields guys uh, use that thing when I'm not using it to tow to uh, like customer events for the Cardinals and stuff. So when I'm not driving it, they are for their own events. Uh, so Rob and I kind of have a working agreement there on the truck where it, it lives in our storage unit and he's just got free reign when I'm not using it. Um, and then outside of that... Um, like I said, we when we're going to these off-road parks or, or going to NASCAR races or whatever, we camp. So we also needed something to live out of when we were on the road. Um, so we needed some, it ultimately boiled down to we need something that's going to be able to haul 45,000 pounds and live in, which your options get really small when you throw those two uh, requirements at it. I had a 40-foot diesel pusher for a little more than a year, 
I think that those vehicles are absolutely incredible. We had one before. Before I started racing, we had a diesel pusher. Now, if you need to tow a lot of cars, you probably don't have enough towing capacity. You basically have to make a trade-off because you've got so much living space. But to get the tow capacity back, you have to go to the Renegade because basically it's a summer yeah. truck. With a, li- with a living quarter just slapped on the back of it. At the same time, you get to tow a full-size trailer. Yeah, and, and for my family, you know, it's, it's me, my wife, sometimes my daughter, uh, and our two dogs. And it's, it's perfect for us. If, it, if we needed to sleep more bodies, then we'd be out of room. But for what we use it for, it's great. And we got a steal on it. It was owned by um, it was owned by somebody that also owns a racing team at a much higher level than us. Um, so it was well maintained by his guys. Uh, it was priced to move because they just got a new one, like a brand new one, um, and it had been sitting for a year. The guy just really wanted to get it off of their property, so um, I got it for what I thought was incredibly fair. So you take delivery on this Renegade. Where do you start? Well, the first thing was. I, I wanted to take it somewhere where they could kind of walk me through the mechanics of the thing just because I was so I've never driven a semi truck before. Like I'd, uh, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know more about the D13 that's that's in it. I wanted to know more about the iShift transmission that's in it. Um, you know, all of the all of the um, uh, tow features that it has, all the little knobs and whistles and bells and all that. Like I, it was all a foreign language to me until I had somebody sit down and show me how to use it. Um, so that was step one. And then, you know, once we, dis- once we were sure that we were on solid footing with it mechanically, you know, we, we put a instant water heater on it. Um, the shower, we put like a new nicer shower head on it. We changed the lighting because it had like old 2008 ugly lighting in it. Um, so we put like led strips and stuff in it just to make it, you know, bring it to a little bit more modern look. Um, but, I mean, it was all stuff that was not necessary by any means, um, but it, it's really just kind of, you know, we, we pick a little project here and there, and, like, I think next we want to do, like, a new couch in it, um, but it's it's just making the RV home at that point. Yeah, for sure. So, like, you get to an event, you get set up, um, which is itself a process. Um, it's actually, it, for the Renegade, it's it's easier than the other RVs that I've owned. Really? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you pull up, you put the air brakes on it's got self-leveling jacks it's got one slide out which is controlled with one control yeah uh and then you you plug it in and hook up the plumbing uh, one of the things that uh i found challenging at least with my my own like family life schedule is if you're if you're going to an event that starts on saturday you get there sometime friday but like getting out of home uh, and getting on the road is like a job do you find yourself do you always leave on Friday morning? Do you leave sooner than that? Or like, do you try and work on Friday and then travel? So it's, it's completely dictated by my work needs that week. Um, but you're right. It's, it's like a traveling circus, even just the two of us and our dogs. Like the amount of like packing and lugging stuff to and from the house into the RV that we want to bring for the weekend. It's, it's a project in itself, but we always try to leave as early as possible. So if I can get away with not working that Friday, we'll try to leave on Thursday. Um, I'm finally at a point at work where I've got some like reliable, trustworthy, talented help. Sure. Um, so it makes being able to be gone for long weekends a lot less stressful for me. Um, but I also set the Renegade up to be able to, I've got like a little mobile office in there yeah. that I can work That was from. one of my favorite things about having the bus is there were certain situations where um, we could like 
in, in some cases, might, we might travel on Wednesday night and then get up super early on Thursday morning, finish the drive, and then I would work like potentially all day Thursday and all day Friday from a remote location. And then on Friday afternoon when workday was done, I could power down my computer and then be at the racetrack. Yeah. Do you, do you both drive? Uh, she, like the rig? No. No? No, just it you. was just me. So that is... That's one thing that I'm really fortunate is that most of the events Rob and I travel to together. Oh, sure. Um, so, like, when we went to PPIR last year, I drove for, like, 11 or 12 hours and then was like, I'm done. You take over. Rob slept while I drove, so he was fresh when he took over. So the truck really never stopped other than, like, a couple hours where we both needed to conk out for a minute. Oh, sure. Um, but, you know, you can you can go cross. If you've got two drivers, you can make a cross-country trip a lot more easier. So lot tell easier me about the uh, the fuel economy on the Renegade. You know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, it's the only vehicle I've ever driven that gets the exact same fuel economy towing as not towing. It gets six and a half. Like, you know, my bus got six and a half. Really? Yeah. I, I'm surprised. But yeah, it's it's if you got zero pounds or thirty five thousand pounds behind it, it's going to get six or six and a half to, to the gallon. The uh, the the situation this um, summer and actually late last fall, where like where diesel was like six bucks. Oh my god, um, dude! You started thinking about a dollar a mile to travel, and you're like, oh god, dang. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a my my company has a fleet account um, where I can pretty much just co- like roll up to any pump and oh, just sure. swipe our card. And, and yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's so funny. When we get the statements at the office, it's broken out by vehicle and by driver ID. So, like, all of my transactions on my card are, like, $750 diesel transactions. And it's so funny because um, if you're filling up from, like, a standard pump, uh, filling up that many gallons would take a while. You'd be stopped for a take half the day. But, like... Um, if you go to a semi truck fill up where the the nozzle is gigantic, you can spend seven hundred and fifty dollars in just a few minutes. Dude, it's so funny because it's got those dual tanks too. Oh yeah, so it fills up from both sides. When you get both of those pumps running at the same time, the, you can't even make heads or tails of the numbers rolling across the screen. <laughs> it's just a blur. Yeah right. Um, well, so we didn't talk yet about what your schedule was for twenty twenty three. Where are you racing this year? Well. My goal for the year, uh, not just with GLTC, but as a driver, my goal is to just become a more complete driver sure. um, from all aspects. So I'm, I'm trying to take a stab at uh, carving out some time for uh, a couple WRL weekends. Um, I'm thinking about getting into a couple more local NASA weekends as well just to get some more seat time. Uh, and then obviously we're running the full GLTC schedule, which only being seven events is a few more events fewer than last season. But it's... It's sprawling. Yeah, it's a lot more. It's a lot more spread out. So, like logistically, it's equally as large of a commitment as last year. Um, but it's fewer events. So I'm gone for GLTC. I'm I'm committed to fewer weekends than I was last year. So that kind of opened up. If I wanted to, I think we were. I think we did like between Grid Life and a couple other like test weekends. I think we did like thirteen weekends last year or something. Um, for racing. So if I want to do the same amount, you know, we've got seven GLTC weekends that gives me six other weekends to go jump into something else. So next week I'm, I'm racing WRL uh, at NOLA, um, and I'm looking at two other WRL races with Andrew Reigns and Apex Pro as well. Sick. Well, um, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show and being a, a regular guy. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it, man. That's It's so funny that you say that because I, I had a friend back home. I, I, 
I don't remember what I was posting. We were like loading up for one of the race weekends, and uh, I posted a picture of the Renegade uh, on my Facebook story. And it was like, you know, regular guy racing goes goes to wherever for the weekend. And he made a comment like, you can't drive a renegade and be say like, you're a regular, a regular guy. guy. But, you know, the 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 whole when I when I came up with the name uh, regular guy racing, I, I told myself, you know, no matter what this was back in like 2017, I told myself no matter what this becomes, whether I'm just, a you know, one or two weekend a year guy and I'm like legitimately, you know, sleeping in the bed of my truck on race weekends or whatever, or we go, you know, full sail stacker and toter and all that. Um, I don't ever want to become like the Porsche club guy. I want to be able to sit down at the table with Abe and record a fun podcast. And have are, some you, are you trying to say that I'm down here in the dirt? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I am saying the complete opposite. I, I, uh, I, that I've fallen in love with the, uh, grid life scene for that very reason it, it doesn't matter uh who we are away from the track um we're all we're all regular folks here and we're all here for the same reason yeah well i i just want to say good luck to you this year thank you thank you uh you've got a lot of travel coming up oh yeah and uh I, are you going to coda yeah we'll be at coda That's i can't it. wait i cannot wait um have you did you race there last I year i was there last okay. year it was actually you know our <laughs> Our season started off really hot. Uh, we d- we had a great weekend at Coda, so I'm hoping to replicate that or, or do better this year with our with our new car. But um, I feel confident at that racetrack, and it can't get here soon enough. Awesome. Well, I want to wish you a super successful season, and thank you so much for being on the show. And we'll hope to see you again this uh, this season. We'll catch up with you. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Uh, come find me anytime. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I gotta I gotta interject. We were done, but now we're not. Um, you're taking. Uh, scholarship applications for the future front runners program. That's correct. Please describe that program a little bit before we end the show. So the future front runners scholarship is my wife and I's project. It's our passion project, if you will. Um, but it's our way of, uh, you know, kind of saying thank you to the grassroots community for, for being such a positive light in our lives. Um, but it is a women in motorsports scholarship. Um, we want to take an opportunity as uh, a father and a stepmother to my daughter um, to, to uh, level the playing field a little bit, if you will, as far as access to wheel-to-wheel racing for women. Um, sure. So the scholarship exists uh, for any um, advanced HPDE female drivers or time attack drivers uh, that would like to take the leap into wheel-to-wheel racing. Um, we're going to pick uh, one select Grid Life event this year um, to do a full-service arrive-and-drive weekend for our scholarship recipient. Sick. Um, so you'll come out with us. Uh, you'll get the full trackside engineering support, data coaching, hospitality. My wife's going to cook for you. She's a great cook. That's um, awesome. And uh, at the end of the weekend, our goal for you, uh, on top of just having the weekend of your life, is uh, you walk away with uh, Scott and Renee's blessing on your provisional license for GLTC. That's awesome. Well, uh, if, if anyone's listening, I think a portion of our audience is female. Not a ton, but some. Where can people learn about the program? Where can they apply for it? So there is a brand new website that was created by yours truly. Uh, it is future-frontrunners.com. Um, the application's on the website along with a description of the scholarship itself and uh, a little insight into the team. Um, and you can apply at future-frontrunners.com slash apply-now. So it's uh, January 14th. 
Uh, how long will applications be open? Applications are open right now. Um, we closed the application window on Monday, February 13th. Um, okay. And our top three applications um, will be handpicked by Emily and I. And they will go to Scott and Renee for approval. And assuming that all three get approved, um, it'll come back to us for final approval. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and for running that kind of program. And uh, good luck. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the season. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits Air Grid Live to say hello.